Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Filato on Football. I'm the host of this show, Nicholas Filato, and we're talking week four, ladies and gentlemen. It's just about in the books, but before we dive into scores, highlights, and how things went down this week, we should probably address the incredibly precarious nature of the NFL, which was on display throughout this week with COVID. Earlier in the week, a few Titans players and personnel tested positive for COVID-19, which prompted fear all around the NFL with the Titans' upcoming game against the Steelers and also their Week 3 opponent, which was the Minnesota Vikings, but nobody luckily yet has tested positive from the Vikings. And with the incubation period being somewhere between contraction to 14 days, it is possible that somebody on the Vikings ends up testing positive and then that would also cause the Houston Texans to be exposed because that was the team that played the Vikings so that's something that's somewhat concerning but the fact that no Vikings have tested positive is definitely a good sign but the NFL postponed the Titans and Steelers game the game was supposed to be Monday or Tuesday this week But throughout the week, more Titans just kept testing positive, which forced the NFL to give both teams an impromptu bye week. The NFL had to get creative to find a resolution to squeeze this game into the schedule, and the game was rescheduled now for Week 7. The Steelers at Baltimore game, which was the Week 7 matchup, was moved from October 25th to November 1st at 1 p.m. because both of those teams had a Week 8 bye. So it was a little bit of maneuvering of the schedule and the NFL had to get creative, but unfortunately, these outbreaks, this is our reality right now, and the schedule should be considered fluid as of right now, especially with all of these scares. These things are going to tend to happen, and as most of you know, Cam Newton tested positive on Saturday for the coronavirus, and a practice squad player, quarterback Jordan Tuyamu, player for the Chiefs, he also tested positive for the Chiefs and the Patriots, and they were supposed to play each other in week four. It's not good. But both teams started testing multiple times a day, and that game has now been rescheduled for Monday night before the Packers-Falcons game. But by the time you're listening to this, someone could have tested positive in the morning, and that game could be rescheduled all together. It's certainly uh, concerning, especially when you look at it from a fantasy perspective. A lot of those teams are uh, have a lot of fantasy goodness, I guess you could say, a lot of fantasy performers on those rosters of the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs but if all goes well nobody tests positive they will be playing before the Packer Falcon game then we can enjoy two football games in primetime Monday night football but there's not gonna be any Cam Newton he's already ruled out because he was the one who tested positive for the Patriots and another scare actually happened with COVID-19 when the Saints landed in Detroit late on Saturday night the Saints fullback Michael Burton tested positive for COVID-19, and Alvin Kamara was actually sitting right next to him on the plane. So through the league's contact tracing rules, he had to get mass tested. But it turned out the fullback Burton was just a false positive test. So the game went on, and the Lions got beat down 35-29, to even though they kept they took a pretty early lead in that game. I want to say they were up 14-0. I could be mistaken there, but it looked like the Lions were rolling, and then the Saints just turned it on, and the Lions kind of made a look Uh, much better than it actually was and put themselves into a position late to possibly do something but obviously wasn't enough but I expect these types of things to kind of happen throughout the NFL which is going to suck it's going to be unfortunate and it's going to have to force this league to be really adaptable and there was a lot of talk last night about coaches around the league saying that they should shut the NFL down for a week 
and possibly set up a 12-game schedule with a lot of teams in certain bubble situations to mitigate this kind of stuff. And that was after the Lions and the Saints scare. But since that ended up being a false positive, I haven't heard anything about it. But there's probably going to be a point of conversation throughout the week, especially if these things just keep coming up. Now, onto the Giants. I was surprised, all right? They were rather competitive throughout the game and even had a chance to tie it up on their final drive. But Jones got greedy. He tried to force the ball through tight coverage, a bad ball at that. It was thrown pretty far inside to Damian Radley, and the result was an interception by Darius Williams to seal the game. And Jones, on that play, man, he could have ran it. He could have, and it more than likely would have kept the chains moving. And that's one of my biggest gripes about this contest, though, was the Giants in these kind of situations. Yes, they were down 10 to 3 at halftime, but they had 67 yards of offense in the first half. Like, what are we doing here? The red zone efficiency is terrible. And I know Daniel Jones had six carries for 45 yards in this game, but a lot of them, the vast majority of them, they weren't designed. I thought we'd see Garrett implement a bit more designed runs to get Jones in space and force the defense to respect his legs, but I didn't see as much of that, especially after we saw it against the 49ers. And it's obvious Jones can do this. It's obvious the Giants need it because the Giants cannot move the football right now, and it's a massive concern. Jones was able to take advantage of a lot of broken plays and pick up yardage that way, and the Rams seemed content to allow Jones to use his legs and just to eliminate his passing targets. And it doesn't seem like these guys are separating. It doesn't seem like they're finding the right spots in, within zone coverage or Jones isn't finding them while they're open. The timing is just a little bit off for Daniel Jones. It was, wasn't a great outing by him. But we didn't see Daniel Jones' legs be used like they were used against the 49ers. And also the Rams, man, their defensive line was manhandling the Giants' offensive line in the first half of the game. The Rams had four sacks like right off the bat. The Giants, though, they were able to slow that pass rush down just enough with some quick game concepts, a few successful rushing attempts, which seems fake to us Giants fans because we haven't seen that in a very long time. Wayne Gallman had a couple nice ones, so did Devonta Freeman. But also because the Giants' defense was opportunistic was another reason why the Rams' defense had to be out there much more, much more than I expected, to be honest. I mean, got to look at the Giants, man. A little bit opportunistic, a little bend-don't-break. Austin Johnson forced the fumble on Gerald Everett, which was actually after Everett scored that end-around touchdown, his first rushing touchdown of his career because he's a tight end, when the Rams drove the ball right down the Giants' throats in the first drive. Five first downs in the first series. Something big happened early on in the game. Something that most Giants fans were calling for. And it was a key mistake by Devonta Downs that resulted in him being replaced in favor of Tay Crowder, who played more snaps. And right after Isaac Yidem was beat a few times on some quick hitches, just wasn't exactly in the best position he should have been, cornerback Isaac Yidem, that is, the Giants put Ryan Lewis in over Yidem. And after that, Giants defense became much more solidified. And they did not have as many holes to exploit. And I do love that adjustment by Graham, that personnel adjustment, because to me personally, Devontae Downs isn't it. He's been a liability in every game. He's made mistakes in every single game. Isaac Yadam, he's not it. He's somebody to be picked on. He's not great in man coverage. He's not overly balanced. He's not in position a lot of the times. And Ryan Lewis, haven't seen enough of him. But the little bit that we saw last week and what we saw this week in this game was pretty solid. And I hope they stick with that. Lewis over Yidem, and then Crowder over Devontae Downs in the nickel packages. 
On the offensive side of the ball, though, just a sloppy first drive, which is really par for the course. We got to see Jason Garrett use Shane Lemieux at fullback, which was fun, as was seeing Matt Parrott on the field when Cam Fleming was out. He looked pretty good. But when you look at this Giants offense, it's they just cannot score touchdowns. They're not scoring in the red zone. They were able to actually move the ball pretty consistently, thanks to some improvisation by Daniel Jones, but their red zone offense is putrid right now. Let's look at this glass and pretend it's half full, okay? A team that just dropped 32 points in Buffalo last week was held to 17 points at home by the New York Giants defense. The offense possessed the ball for 33 minutes. This can be looked at in a negative light because a team scored 9 points in those 33 minutes, but that's also a sad reality of the current state of this young team. But this Giants defense did hold the Rams to under 250 total yards, and 55 of those yards came on a broken play to Cooper Cup for a touchdown. Giants held Daryl Henderson, looked like Barry Sanders last week against the Bills, to 2.8 yards per carry. It's an improvement. Now this offense, this week they had the ball, they controlled the clock, they just couldn't score. And Jones, once again, threw a costly interception, made some bad mistakes, and I also didn't think Jones, he just didn't really look that great in this game. And I'm excited to get to the All-22 to kind of cover a lot of what Daniel Jones did wrong. It did seem like his internal clock was messed up. It also seemed like he was just eyeing down receivers and expecting them to break open when they were not and he needs to just feel the pressure a little better we saw a lot of that in his rookie season and I thought you know earlier this year he didn't show as much of it but it was really on display against the Rams and that's definitely a problem that he needs to kick him and Jason Garrett both and I expected them this team the New York Giants to get just trounced in this type of game but they were competitive and if this defense can continue to improve, that's going to be a huge positive for the Giants. Now, I remember the 2007 team under Spags. The first three weeks of the season, new defense similar to this and just the fact that it was a new defense. And the Giants team got bullied by Dallas's offense, by Brett Favre and the Packers. And then in week three against Washington, but that defense clicked in the second half of that game. The Giants won on a goal line stand where Aaron Ross makes that tackle. Even though I think it was... Some fullback dropped like a wide open touchdown before that, but we could forget about that. And we are. We do. Now, I'm not trying to draw parallels between the two situations, but the Giants' defense did seem to click against a high-powered offense on the road. So that's a positive. Now, we just need that offense to catch up and be a little better in the red zone. It just doesn't seem like the Giants have reliable playmakers. And Jones' internal clock definitely looked bad in this game. As I've said, he was eyeing down the receivers and not feeling pressure, which resulted in some of the five sacks that the Rams recorded. But all in all, they don't fix their ineffectiveness in the money zone with scoring touchdowns, with big plays, and the Giants will be really embarrassed. You can't keep settling for field goals. The craziest thing about this, too, is the Giants are still well within reach to win this division. How asinine is that? Dallas got destroyed by Cleveland. The football team got trounced by Baltimore. And the Eagles are playing right now as I record this podcast. Now, it's a crazy thought. Now, if the Eagles lose to the Niners, and the Giants defeat Dallas next week, then they'll be tied for first place with the football team. <laughs> the NFC East is a joke. And I'm using next week as a really strong barometer. 
to evaluate this offense because Dallas's defense is atrocious and they can't stop anything. If the Giants can't score touchdowns against them, then we have a real problem, ladies and gentlemen. So let's hope they can move the football and put some points on the board against a team that just made Baker Mayfield look absolutely fantastic. That's something that we need to hope for the New York Giants. But let's move on to a team that's not a joke, okay? And that is the Seattle Seahawks, who had a 1 o'clock start, had to travel all the way to Miami, the furthest game they have to travel to, all the way from the Pacific Northwest down to Miami, Florida, and they are able to beat the Miami Dolphins 31-23. to It was a little bit of a slow start. They scored 17 points in the first half, but they finalized the game by scoring two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win this game. But Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. That's all I could say. 360 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Not to mention the really impressive 53-yard touchdown to David Moore to end the first half. And on that play, he was, or on that entire drive, I should say, he was calling his own plays because the headsets were not working. Now, that's just Russell Wilson right there. He was calling his own plays and led that drive and threw that beautiful pass to Moore for that touchdown where Noah Igbinogany just kind of was beat in coverage. He's a rookie, was drafted uh, late in the first round, and he admitted after the game it was his fault. It was very contrite about the fact that he blew his coverage there. But David Moore, good touchdown catch on that one. But Wilson, man, he went 24 for 34 in this game. He tied Peyton Manning's record for 16 touchdown passes in the first four games of a season. Manning did that back in 2013 when he had that crazy year with the Denver Broncos. But Wilson, man, (laughs) he's just been on fire. They're letting him cook. Chris Carson got to get in this game at 16 carries for 80 yards and two touchdowns, left the game for a good portion of the contest with a possible concussion, was able to return in the second half, and he looked good running the football. And you love to see that too because remember that bullcrap Tristan Hill dirty-ass hit where he rolled to basically sprain the knee of Chris Carson. There was no structural damage, luckily, and Chris Carson ends up being okay. But in this game, there was just Russell Wilson just spreading the ball around. Four catches for DK Metcalf, three for David Moore, two for Tyler Lockett, five for Greg Olson, two for Freddie Swing, three for Chris Carson, two for Will Disley, two for DJ Dallas, one for Travis Homer. <laughs> it's incredible, man. He could just do it with whoever you give him. It's it's absolutely insane. And then we have the Miami Dolphins. We expected a better game from someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick. At least I did. He was able to get 47 yards on the ground at a touchdown, which is good for fantasy, but he threw no touchdown passes, threw two interceptions at over 300 yards passing, and Devontae Parker was his favorite target, 10 catches for 110 yards. But outside of that, everybody else was held to pretty modest games. And now Miami Dolphins get to travel to San Francisco while the Seattle Seahawks get to have a little bit of prime time fun against the Minnesota Vikings. Then we have Joe Burrow getting his first win in the NFL. And man, he looks very, very good. But it was mainly the Joe Mixon show. Joe Mixon had 25 carries for 151 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, and also had a touchdown through the air. And he looked Every bit of the Joe Mixon that we expect to see all the time, but we don't consistently see. He looked really good against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Porous rush defense. Joe Burrow had 300 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Could have easily had a lot more passing touchdowns. Just did not materialize, and Joe Mixon ends up taking a lot of those on the ground. And as for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have a former New York Giant kicking for them right now because Aldrick Rosas ends up 
getting elevated from the practice squad to the active roster because Josh Lambeau injured his hip and he's on injured reserve. And then they brought in a kid, rookie, Brandon Wright. He was waived after injuring his hamstring. And then they signed Steven Hauschka on Monday and he was inactive because he was sore, which led to Aljic Rosas being promoted. And he didn't start off too well. In the first quarter, he missed a 48-yard field goal attempt, but then he ends up hitting four others, including a 50-yarder in the second half. So that was really good to see Aldo Grossos kind of bounce back. You know, he's had has kind of made a lot of mistakes in his past, resulted in him getting cut from the New York Giants, but looks like he's getting a second chance. And we'll see if the Jaguars stick with him. The fact that he missed one field goal isn't great, but the fact that he showed some resilience and nailed all the other ones, it's pretty solid for the kid. And another note on Joe Mixon. Remember, he popped up on the injury report with a chest injury on Thursday, and a lot of people thought that, Giovanni Menard might end up getting the start. Mixon would be held out. Luckily, that didn't happen for Joe Mixon. But if you get the chance, go to your ESPN app on fantasy football and look at Giovanni Bernard. And if you're a South Park fan, tell me that Giovanni Bernard on that picture does not look like he had a little bit of fun with the pandemic special. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If not, let's just move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars skill players. Looks like DJ Chark's back. Love it. I love DJ Chark. He had nine targets, eight catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns in this game. Gardner Minshew looks for him in all the high leverage situations because he's a fantastic, long, very athletic type of receiver. So it's really good that he seems like he's back to being the player that he can be. So before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. So you want to talk about a reunion for Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield in Texas. They really had a great one, beating the Dallas Cowboys 49-38. to Man, that Dallas Cowboys defense is really bad. The Cowboys dropped to 1-3, and you got to give it to Odell Beckham Jr., who had one heck of a game. It seemed like towards the end of the game, the Dallas Cowboys were mounting another incredible comeback just like they did in week two against the Atlanta Falcons but an end around to Odell Beckham that he took for 50 yards breaking tackles and weaving in and out of blocks ends up just basically squashing the hopes of the Dallas Cowboys but as a receiver Beckham had eight targets five catches for 81 yards and two touchdowns as well he had a monstrous like 38 point fantasy game but the biggest news probably for the Cleveland Browns offense is Nick Chubb he was off to a good start six carries for 43 yards averaging 7.2 yards per carry but then he sadly ends up getting rolled up on and it's a little unclear on how serious the injury is there are reports coming out right now as I record this that are saying it's not as serious as some might have initially expected but it definitely didn't seem good. He's probably going to miss some time. But then Kareem Hunt filled in his stead, had 11 carries for 71 yards and two touchdowns. And it's just the Cleveland Browns offense was just moving. I mean, Baker Mayfield only had to throw the ball 30 times, completed 19 of them, had two touchdowns for 165 yards, didn't have to do all that much against the Dallas Cowboys, but still he gets that win. And he leads this team to a 3-1 record. That's the Browns. Nobody really expected them to beat the Dallas Cowboys. I didn't, but it really just goes to show you how bad the Dallas Cowboys defense really is. And in this game for Dallas, I mean, Dak Prescott threw for over 500 yards, threw the ball 58 times, 41 completions, four touchdowns, one pick to end the game, by the way. And as receivers, he just spread the ball out. Amari Cooper had 16 targets. C.D. Lamb had seven. Dalton Schultz had eight. Ezekiel Elliott had eight. Cedric Wilson had six. Michael Gallup had five. And as for receptions, Cooper had 12, Lamb had 5, Schultz had 4, Elliott had 8, Noah Brown had 4, 
It's, it's incredible. They're spreading the ball out. And Dalton Schultz, and I'm telling you, man, the tight end for Dallas's offense is just a really good fantasy option. I know there's a lot of mouths to feed here, but he gets targeted. He had eight targets in this game. Just Dak likes throwing to the middle of the field. Those simple little button hooks, those simple little routes, simple little seams, simple little flags. So if he's still on your free agent wire in fantasy, go and pick him up. But it's as a Giants podcast, it's great to see Dallas lose. And they're going to be really hungry. Jason Garrett gets to go home. And if the Giants can pull off an upset, it kind of changes things in this division, which is it shouldn't be that way because the Giants are not nearly good enough for that. But that's the reality that we're in. Let's move on to the Houston Texans against the Minnesota Vikings. And Bill O'Brien drops to 0-4. I know the schedule has been absolutely terrible for the Texans, but you're at home and you get to play the Minnesota Vikings. And you can't stop them. Dalvin Cook just kind of ran all over this team. Kirk Cousins was throwing the ball really well in this game too. Dalvin Cook had 27 carries for 130 yards, two touchdowns. Alexander Madison also had a touchdown on the ground. Kirk Cousins, 260 yards passing, one touchdown. Adam Thielen had eight for 114 and that touchdown reception. Justin Jefferson goes north of 100 yards, four for 103. As for Houston, just seems like there's no rhythm within that offense. Sean Watson's just trying to play, just trying to extemporize the entire time and extend plays and there's no timing or rhythm and will fuller in this game ends up having six for 108 and a touchdown kenny stills gets a touchdown but it just seems like that offense is out of whack that defense isn't all that great they were just getting the ball run right down their throats by a team on the road i mean dalvin cook is amazing and this team knows how to run the football but this is the game that you guys can need to win i mean you face the steelers the Chiefs and the Ravens the last three weeks. So everyone understood the fact that you were in three, but now you're 0-4. <laughs> and you let Minnesota come in and get their first win of the season. Not great look. Minnesota wins this game 31-23. And then this game too. I mean, Minnesota just dominated time of possession. Had over 36 minutes. Houston only had 23. Minnesota over 400 yards. Houston had 386, so they were close. So it was high-powered on that side, but they just can't kind of similar to the Giants, get enough offensive continuity to have success. That's going to be an issue for them going forward. And you look at the Houston Texans, you see the division that they're in. The Indianapolis Colts are better than I think people expected. The Jaguars are more competitive, but that's where the Texans are going. They get to host the Jaguars next week before going to the Titans the week after that. So two division games are going to be pivotal for Bill O'Brien and this team. And if this team continues to sink questions a lot of questions about bill o'brien are starting to come in as a coach and not just a general manager because we all know about those questions that we do on to the ravens and the washington football team the ravens beat them 31 to 17 pretty handily lamar jackson only has to throw the ball 21 times in this game completes 14 of them 193 yards two touchdowns and interception also had a 50 yard touchdown run to boot and it was just kind of run the ball down the throats of the Washington football team between Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram, and J.K. Dobbins. They did all that. And then Robert Griffin III ends up getting into the game as well. As for Dwayne Haskins, he didn't throw any interceptions in this game. Didn't look particularly good, but he went north of 300 yards, had 314 yards passing on 45 attempts, 32 completions. Antonio Gibson had 13 carries for 46 yards and one touchdown. And it was the Terry McLaurin show. As it's been, people know Terry McLaurin's going to be the number one target, and he's still getting open, and that's something that the Giants lack. Terry McLaurin is playing with a subpar quarterback right now and not the best situation. 
and he gets 14 targets, gets force-fed the ball, yes, but he also comes down with the majority of them and makes plays and keeps the chains moving. The Giants don't necessarily have that with someone like Darius Slayton or some of the other receivers that they have, which is sad. Granted, nobody's really confusing the skill sets of Terry McLaurin and Darius Slayton, but just goes to show you Terry McLaurin and how good that he is, that he's able to put up these kind of numbers with someone like Dwayne Haskins. Because Kyle Allen, there's a lot of mummerings about Kyle Allen. Now, Alex Smith hasn't really dressed, but Kyle Allen seems to be the guy to replace Dwayne Haskins if Haskins makes a lot of mistakes. But nobody expected the Baltimore Ravens to go to Washington and lose this game, especially after losing in prime time to the Kansas City Chiefs. So now it's going to be on Washington to host the Rams, and then they got to go to New York to play the Giants before going up against Dallas at home and then playing the Giants again. So they have a couple winnable games in their next four, two that are definitely winnable. So it might be really telling for Dwayne Haskins and his future with this franchise to see what he does here. I mean, I don't see a lot there, but the Giants defense, they showed a lot of promise here, but this season they've been a little leaky. So I guess they are really going to be some winnable games in the NFC East that are up in the air because outside of the Rams playing the uh, Washington football team next week, the NFC East doesn't have to play the NFC West. So the NFC West doesn't have to win every game. The NFC East doesn't have to lose every game like it's been these last few weeks. So, and I'm still waiting for this huge Lamar Jackson game. I really am. It has not necessarily happened quite yet, but I still think it's coming. This was a nice, solid fantasy outing from Lamar Jackson. On to the New Orleans Saints against the Detroit Lions. The New Orleans Saints win 35-29 to against Detroit in Detroit. And again, like I said, this was a game where Detroit went up early, but the Saints came back in the second quarter and just dropped 21 on them. And it was sort of out of reach towards the end of the game. They pulled within one score, but it was just too little, too late. And in this game, the New Orleans Saints dominated time of possession. That's what's going to happen when you have someone like Alvin Kamara, who had a modest game for him, 19 carries for 83 yards and a touchdown. But New Orleans just had 29 first downs to Detroit's 18. Again, dominated time of possession, dominated yardage. Turnover battle was even, so at least there was that. Kenny Galladay looks like he's at least getting back into a groove somewhat. He had four catches for 62 yards and one touchdown on eight targets and outside of that man i know they had deandre swift have a nice receiving touchdown on a little arrow route in the red zone tj hawkinson ended up finding the red zone matthew stafford's trying to do what he can do with this offense i still am just shocked that adrian peterson gets the most carries he doesn't really do great with them he only averaged 3.3 yards per carry but they literally have two second round picks from the last three years at the running back position. And Adrian Peterson, who they brought in after being cut by the Washington football team, is leading this backfield. Like, that's very funny to me. But again, Alvin Kamara in the receiving game, he only had three for 36 on four targets, which is very, very modest for him. It was Emmanuel Sanders on nine targets, six for 93, something that we haven't seen a lot. We haven't seen a lot of Emmanuel Sanders. So it's actually pretty good that he's able to show, hey, look at me, I'm still a part of this offense, because Traquan Smith, younger player, definitely did that in this game, four for 54, also had two touchdowns, the two touchdowns that Drew Brees ended up throwing, and the Saints are just a better team than the Detroit Lions, there's no hot take whatsoever when it comes to that. So moving on to the Cardinals at the Panthers, this one a lot of people thought the Cardinals would win, but this is one of those classic cases of the West Coast, going to the East Coast, not necessarily adapting, and the Panthers... I don't want to take anything away from them. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Carolina Panthers. 
They came out in this game. Teddy Bridgewater looked good in this game. Robbie Anderson at 8 for 99 on 11 targets. And I got to say, I'm starting to be a little worried about DJ Moore. Only had six targets, and he was 4 for 49. So it definitely seems like Robbie Anderson is the number one receiver in this offense. I mean, I don't think there's any denying that right now. And Mike Davis definitely has that Christian McCaffrey role. 16 carries for 84 yards, one touchdown, five receptions on six targets for 27 yards. Sort of like Christian McCaffrey. Now, obviously... Because he's not Christian McCaffrey, they bring in Reggie Bonifon and Curtis Samuel but to to also kind of keep Mike Davis fresh. But Mike Davis, I mean, he's getting a lot of receptions. He's being used a lot. As for Arizona, man, they just couldn't get in a groove. It's DeAndre Hopkins was on the injury report in this game. Played through injury. Had nine targets, seven for 41. Not a great stat line for him. Christian Kirk was also on the injury report all throughout the week, but he ends up getting into the end zone in this game, three for 19. But Kyler Murray only had 133 yards in those three touchdowns, and they just couldn't necessarily sustain drives or take advantage of a vulnerable Carolina rushing attack and a vulnerable Carolina defense in general. Carolina's defense just really stepped up. A lot of people thought they were going to be the worst defense in the league, but it just does not seem like that's the case as of right now when Carolina gets the 31-21 to victory. And that's also a product of just not having the ball, which Carolina dominated time of possession by a vast number. As did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their 38-31 victory over the Los Angeles Chargers. And I got to give it to good old Justin Herbert, man. Justin Herbert really shows a lot. And he really plays pretty damn well and puts his team into position to win this game. And, I mean, you got to think of just what it's like to, A, go against Tom Brady and travel across the country and play a good Tampa defense orchestrated by Todd Bowles. But to go 290, only throw the one pick, throw three touchdowns, use your legs a little bit to extend plays after losing someone like Austin Eckler, which it seems like that's going to be a pretty bad injury. I'm not going to uh, guesstimate on how long he'll miss, but it did not look good, I guess you could say. Austin Eckler ended up going down. But that ball that he threw to Jalen Guyton for 72 yards in that touchdown, that was a really beautiful pass and Herbert just seems like he's adapted well and I don't see how you go back to Terod Taylor at this point especially I mean if I'm the skill position player of the Chargers I definitely wouldn't want to I mean Keenan Allen's getting force fed the ball he had 12 targets 8 for 62 in this game Hunter Henry was used sparingly at three targets two catches for 39 yards in this game and I'm sure Austin Eckler was going to be a huge part of this game plan he ends up going down and they try using Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly and neither of those guys could really establish anything against that Tampa Bay front which is really underrated good job just hanging in this game Los Angeles came out strong. They scored 24 points in the first half of this game. But Tom Brady (laughs) and the Buccaneers scored 24 in the second half of this game. And it was on the back of Ronald Jones, who had 20 carries in this game for 111 yards. He didn't find the end zone. And Keyshawn Vaughn ended up finding the end zone as well. He ended up siphoning some carries. LaShawn McCoy battled a couple injuries. Mike Evans went down with an injury, but ended up coming back in this game. O.J. Howard tore his Achilles. So there was a lot of injuries kind of happening within this game. But Mike Evans ended up having one hell of a game. Eight targets, seven catches for 122 yards and a touchdown. Scotty Miller, seven targets, five catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. And then O.J. Howard, unfortunately, before he got hurt, six targets, three catches, 50 and a touchdown. Keyshawn Vaughn had a receiving touchdown. Cameron Braid had a receiving touchdown. And yes, that means Tom Brady threw five touchdown passes. And that one interception threw the ball 46 times, 30 completions for 369 yards. Tom Brady looked really good. He was putting the ball really, really high, teardropping it into his receivers and over coverage defenders of the Los Angeles Chargers on that Gus Bradley coached 
defense. And they were able, like I said, to control the clock, to keep moving the chains. They had 28 first downs to 15 of Los Angeles's. They had 484 yards to 324 of Los Angeles, and they're able to go 3-1. and one. At this point, Chargers regress to 1-3. and three. Then we have the Bills and the Raiders. Now, the Bills and the Raiders, Josh Allen goes to Las Vegas and gets a 30-23 to 23 victory to propel his team to a 4-0 record. There's only two teams that are 4-0. That's the Bills and the Seattle Seahawks. That could be an interesting Super Bowl, though. Josh Allen, little Russell Wilson, but still there's a lot to play out. Josh Allen didn't have an amazing fantasy outing like he's known to have, but it was still solid. 280 yards passing, two touchdowns passing, one on the ground, not much else on the ground. He ended up suffering a little wrist injury, it looked like, but came right back in and was completely fine. Steph Diggs, seven targets, six catches for 115 yards in this game. John Brown also almost had a touchdown, but he also had four for 42 on five targets as well. Devin Singletary looked good on the ground, 18 carries for 55 yards, not the best average, but was used. And he also had a touchdown, but he was also used as a receiver, five for 21 on six targets because Zach Moss also missed this game, did not play because of that turf toe injury. As for Las Vegas, Josh Jacobs couldn't get a lot going on the ground. Darren Waller had 12 targets, 9 for 88. Hunter Renfro, 5 for 57 on 8 targets. Nelson Aguilar found the end zone, 4 for 4 on 44 yards. It's a lot of 4s. It's probably an unlucky thing right there just because it's a lot of numbers in a row. You know, I've always thought that was bad luck. Don't ask me why. It's probably just because I'm a really weird person. But as for Derek Carr in this game, didn't really push the ball as vertically as a lot of people would have liked, but he had 44 attempts, 32 completions, 311 yards. Those two touchdowns didn't turn the ball over, which is definitely a plus. Did not throw any interceptions. And Buffalo, I would say, the better football team ended up winning this game. I mean, Josh Norman had a really nice fumble recovery that kind of helped secure this win for the Buffalo Bills down the stretch of the game. That was also really, really important on Darren Waller, who he stripped. So the Buffalo Bills, 4-0. Congratulations. And before we get out of here, let's go over the Colts and the Bears real quick. This is a little bit gross, all right, because you have Nick Foles. You have him at home. Everyone's excited about Nick Foles because no one wants Stinky Mitch starting for their team. Nick Foles did not play well whatsoever. Threw the ball 42 times, 26 completions, had one touchdown and one interception, and couldn't really do all that much until the end of the game when he drove the football down and scored a touchdown to Allen Robinson, who had 10 targets, 7 catches for 101 yards, and that touchdown. But Nick Foles does not look much better than Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> that sucks to say for Chicago Bears fans. David Montgomery couldn't get much going on the ground, only had 27 yards on 10 carries. So they had to use the short passing game to try to move the football. The Colts were up the majority of this game. They were up the entire game, I guess I should say, because they were. Chicago only scored 3 points in the first half and then had that touchdown Allen Robinson and a 2-point conversion at the end of the game. But Jimmy Graham, 4 for 33, not a lot going on. Just Foles just could not move the chains. And as for the Indianapolis Colts, they didn't have to do all that much. Just establish the run. Just keep using the short passes. Don't ask Phillip Rivers to throw the ball too deep because Phillip Rivers just uh, doesn't really have that right now. It's not really in his game. So Jonathan Taylor had 17 carries for 68 yards in this game. And the receivers, no one had more than three receptions. Three guys had three receptions. Zach Pascal, T.Y. Hilton, and Naheem Hines, who was their passing downs back. And Colts were able to control the clock. Colts were able to outgain them. Colts were able to get more first downs. 
and the Colts offense didn't turn the football over, which is gigantic. So the Colts win 19 to 11. Bears go to three and one, and the Colts go to three and one. The only game they lost was against Gardner Minshew in Week One. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please rate, subscribe, review this podcast, and have a lovely day. Take care of yourselves, and let's enjoy some Monday Night Football. Hopefully, it's two games, and we'll find out. Take care, everybody. Bye.